Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. I'm going to read a text from the Bible, the Old Testament, and along the way you will get the message of what God wants to communicate to us. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough on this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go up to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighbors of the, in Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowlands and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed before you, go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. After many years of slavery and bondage in Egypt, God miraculously brought the people of Israel out of that place out from that place of bondage. They came to a place called Horeb. Horeb was known as the mountain of God. It was a significant place. At Mount Horeb, they were protected from their enemies. They experienced supernatural provision of God, whether it was food or water. As a result, they got comfortable. They made Horeb their place of security and comfort. The only problem with getting comfortable is that you don't want to move after that. And I know how comfortable we can get and how easy it is to be in that place of comfort. Some of you have sat in the same chair, the same place for the whole of 2017. Don't shout amen to that one. And we all have our comfort spots. We know where to look to find who. If that corner, definitely you will find somebody sitting there. Because we always choose our corners. We always love the place of our comfort. It's called the comfort zone that we move in and settle there. The problem with moving in our comfort zone is to get out from that place as a challenge. I call that the lazy boy syndrome. How many of you know what a lazy boy is? It's the lazy boy syndrome. And if you don't know what the lazy boy syndrome is, so you see the effect of what it is to be comfortable. You make sure your coffee, your book, the lights, every remote's all in that place. And then if you want anything, you make your prayer, your wish. I hope someone passes by. Can you please get me that? How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm a, I've been in that place. I have my comfortable place. You see, God never wanted them to settle down in Horeb. Horeb was never God's final destination for them. And God rebukes them and says to them in verse 6, you have stayed long enough on that mountain, that mountain of comfort. Stayed too long on that mountain. The reason why God rebuked them, because God never created us to be stagnant. He created us for progress. And every single one of us, and everything that has life, has the ability to progress. And I want you to say this after me. I was created for progress and not stagnation. Now, if you've been reading only the Psalms and Proverbs for the whole year and never progressed after that, that's stagnation. You can't live your Christian life only with Psalms and Proverbs. If you're still battling with unresolved issues in your relationships, unresolved pain and hurts of the past, you stagnated emotionally. If you're still struggling with anger and addiction and facing the same problems, you've not progressed in your character. You've stagnated in your character. And God doesn't want you to be in that place. For too long, you've been on that mountain. And very often, we make excuses to remain on that mountain till God comes and speaks and says, you have been too long on this mountain. It's time to move. The problem with stagnation 
It never takes you forward, it only takes you backwards. If you do not plan for progress, then you're planning for failure. You like to write that down? If you don't plan for progress, you plan to fail. Progress is always intentional. If you don't have the intent to progress, you will not progress. Progress comes with a definite intention and decision. The only thing that's automatic in life is complacency. You don't have to do anything. Just sit and be complacent. It comes automatically. And sometimes the biggest hindrance to our progress is our own negativity. How many of you want 2018 to be your year of progress? If you are serious about this, I'd like you to stand tonight. If you want to progress spiritually, financially, progress in the talents and the abilities that God's given you, mark 2018 on your calendar as the year of progress. And I want you to lift your voices up and pray and say, God, I want to move from this mountain of stagnation. You know where you've stagnated. In Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 7, God gives the people two instructions. It says, turn and take your journey. The word take your journey is prepare for journey. There's always a preparation for progress. Progress needs preparation. He says, turn and take your journey, prepare your journey, and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places, and in verse 6 says, See, I have placed the land before you. Two essential ingredients for progress. The first word is turn, and the second word is see. What are the two words? First one is turn, and the second one is see. They were heading in the wrong direction. That God had to speak to them and says, turn, you're looking in the wrong direction. You're in the wrong place. I don't know how 2017 has been for you. But if you find yourself in the wrong direction, if you find yourself in the wrong place at the end of this year, it's never, ever too late for you to turn. The first step to any progress is turn. And that turning starts mentally in our mind. We have a change of heart and change of mind to whatever's withholding you from progress. Turn. The New Testament has a word for that. It's called repentance, change of mind and change of heart. And God will call you to that place of taking the initiative to turn. Make that change in your mind. Don't be comfortable with the way you think. Don't be comfortable in that place of fear and insecurity. God wants you to go beyond that. He wants you to progress. Maybe turning could require you turning away from a wrong, bad relationship. It may be turning away from an addiction. It may be turning away from going the wrong way, the wrong direction, a wrong influence. Whatever it takes, make that turn tonight. Whatever it takes, Take the initiative and say, God, I'm turning. I'm not going to stay in this place. I'm going to make that turn. And it starts with your mind. Progress is never easy. And that's why the Bible says, turn, prepare for journey, and go up to the hill country. There will be hilly areas of your life. There will be obstacles. But progress demands that you overcome all of those things. Hindrances, the mountains, the hills, whatever comes in your way, you have a determination to overcome. If you want to progress in anything, it demands 100% determination and it requires a dedication. Two things, determination and our dedication to progress. Every athlete, every man that's risen to the top, Every person who's achieved anything, they committed themselves to progress, which demanded two things, determination and dedication. Demanded those things. What is it calls your attention for 2018? What are those areas that you need to progress? Put in that dedication and that determination. The good news is that God wants us to progress. 
The good news is he not only wants us to progress, he's committed to our progress. Even in the process, he's committed to us. And that's why the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, Not by my might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And Zerubbabel replies to God saying, What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And that's a nice attitude to the obstacles that stand in your way to progress. What are you, you mighty mountain? It's not by our power. It's not by our might. It's by His Spirit, said the Lord, that He will give you the ability to overcome. He will give you the ability to progress. The same God that was with Moses is the same God who is with us. Do you believe that? The same cloud that was with them in the wilderness... By day, the same cloud of fire that was with them by night is the same, same Holy Spirit, the same presence of the Almighty God manifest in us and around us. Can we draw strength with the fact that the God who was with them, who is still the God who is with us, that's where we get our strength from. The second important word is the word see. See. It says in verse 8, See, I have placed the land before you. The word see is a call for us to refocus. Whenever we lose the ability to see ahead of us, we miss direction. I always say there are two ways of living life. You can stand in a bus stand and say, I wish one bus will take me to some destination and jump onto the, a bus, hoping it will lead you there. Or you know the bus will lead you to where you want to go. Did you catch that one? When you lose sight of the future, when you lose the ability to see ahead, we mess up the present. We get caught up with the unnecessary things, and that's what happened to them at Horeb. That God had to remind them of what was ahead. See the land. They're not yet gone there, but you need to see it before you get there. You've got to see health before you can get there. You've got to see spiritual growth before you can get there. Even the electricity is cooperating with me tonight. Can you see? What is it that you see in 2018? You don't sit there and say, I hope by the grace of God everything will go right. Hey, that's a hopeless hope. That's not even hope to be considered in the first place. Before they can get to the promised Lord, promised land, God demands them, see what I have in store for you. Because if you can't see it, you will miss it. And that's why calling our attention to turning and seeing is so important. Get away from the unnecessary stuff. Get away from the things that distract you from getting ahead in life. And start seeing things from God's perspective. Start seeing things with the eyes of faith. Not with fear of hopelessness and doom. See it the way God wants you to see it. He has a plan and he has a purpose for every single one of you. You don't get there till you see it first. That's the way God operates. You know, there are different ways people live lives. And one of the advantages I minister to so many people, I see them from the way they live their life. And there are some people who live life always looking backwards. In my past, I did this. In the past, this happened to me. In the past, that happened. They're always looking behind, and they are filled with regret and condemnation because they're looking at life or living life looking backwards. There are others who live life looking around. What will he say if I do this? What will she say? What would my grandfather say? What will the auntie say? And those are the people who are so preoccupied with what everybody says, they forget to progress in their life. But there are some lovely people who learn their lessons from their past. They are aware of who's around them, but they have never lost sight and the inspiration of what is ahead of them. They are called visionaries. Are you with me? And that's a healthy way to live. Never miss the opportunity to learn from your past mistakes. Never 
Lose the opportunity to learn from those around you. But always be inspired of what is ahead of you. That's a visionary. Moses was a visionary. In the midst of all the challenges, the grumbling, the complaining, the opposition of leading billions of people in the wilderness, he never lost sight of the future. He was always inspired of what was ahead. Isn't that true? If you were in Moses' shoes, you would have died halfway. He would have said, forget the promised land. I want to go to that land beyond. Moses stood out as an exemplary leader because Moses was led by his intuition while the others were led by their instructions. Two words, intuition and instruction. Can you say the two words? Intuition and instruction. And there are people always waiting for the instruction before they move. If you don't tell them to get up and move, they will sit there till eternity. They love to sit on their blessed assurance and go nowhere, hoping that Jesus will come. Till they get the instruction, no motivation. Someone has to put down three points. Do this. Ah, I got my three points. I got my instruction. Moses never lived by instruction. He lived by intuition. What is intuition? Intuition in simple language is the voice of God on the inside of you. It's that inspiration that comes from within. It's that nudge that comes by the Holy Spirit. Some people say it's a gut feeling. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have that gut feeling right there in your gut. Now, that's not a biblical word. We'll make it biblical tonight. It's the voice of God in your spirit. When the Bible talks about the promised land, it's speaking about a place of prosperity. It's speaking about a place of much fruitfulness. It's speaking about a land of many opportunities, a place of God's favor and God's blessing. Can you see it tonight? I asked you a question. Can you see it tonight? And that's the promised land. That's what God intends for you. He came to give us life and life in abundance. He's throwing open opportunities before you. He's placing before you the opportunity to be fruitful than what you were in 2017. I was thinking about this message. Some of us would have come to the end of 2017 and said, thank God it's over. Shoo, it's over. And you want to come and thank God, thank God, thank God, 2017 over. We're not rejoicing because 2017 is over. We're rejoicing because the unexpected, the extraordinary, the mysterious is waiting for us in 2018. Somebody get excited and someone shout an amen. There are opportunities lying before you in 2018. There are open doors that are waiting for us to walk in in 2018, be inspired of what God has in store for us and waiting ahead of us. See it now and you will walk in it then. You know, everything that God created, He created with an intention of to be fruitful. The first thing He said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful multiply. He sowed it right in our genes, right in our spirit, the desire for fruitfulness, the desire for multiplication. Everything that God created, He created with an ability to be fruitful and multiply. Isn't it true? Every bird, every animal, every human being, everything that God created, He created with an inborn instinct to be fruitful. Can you please say this after me? God created me for fruitfulness. Can you say that again? God created me for fruitfulness and never for failure. Never for failure. You were born for fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is an unspoken expectation in every one of us. The times we celebrate are the times when we see fruit. Isn't that true? Something happens when there is fruit in our lives. I remember I was seeing an orchard. Someone took me to an orange orchard. I took out my camera and I, I was clicking. I couldn't forget that. It happened two years or three years behind. That picture is still in my mind. You know why? Because what I saw on that, in that orchard were plenty of lovely orange fruit. All over. What a sight. Now, if I went to that orchard and I saw trees... I wouldn't have been inspired to take out my camera and click photos. I see trees all the time. 
but it's fruit that inspires you. Isn't it true? In John chapter 15, familiar passage of Scripture, Jesus talks about the vine and the branch. He's the vine and we are the branches. And so often we get caught up with the vine and the branch relationship and we preach on that. But this time I was brought, my attention was brought to verse 1 where Jesus says, God is the gardener. Now we don't worship God as the gardener. We worship him as a God of great things, God of miracles, God of healing, whatever. But he is the gardener. And I began to focus on the attitude of a gardener. No gardener sows seed expecting only trees. You with me? He's not dreaming, say, oh, my whole land will be filled with trees. He's not looking for trees. He's looking for fruit. If he doesn't get fruit, he'll cut the tree and sow the seed again. Because every gardener is committed to every tree bearing fruit. You are planted in God's kingdom. And it's the intent of God that you be a fruit bearing Christian. I know the heart of a gardener. A gardener will do everything he can do. He'll put in the right ingredients, the right manure, everything to make that tree grow. And that's what God is committed to do in each one of your life. And that's how committed God is to see you grow, see you come to that place of fruitfulness, come to that place where the Bible says your life will bring much glory to him as you bear much fruit. He's not looking for little fruit. He's looking for much fruit. Can you talk to him tonight and say, God, thank you. You're committed to me so that I will be bear much fruit. Talk to him. Two lines. Speak to God. Say, Lord, thank you. You're my gardener. God planted his seed on the inside of you. He put his life on the inside of you because he's looking for fruit. He's looking for much fruit. Fruitfulness in every aspect of your life. In 2018, we will all have one thing in common. We'll all have the same time on our watch. We will all have the same days, the same months in a year. We will all wake up every morning with new opportunities. But some will be more fruitful than the others. Some will be more blessed than the others. Only because they took the initiative, they had the intuition to take a hold of the opportunities that came their way and capitalized on it. That will cause fruitfulness in an individual's life. Same time, same opportunities. How you respond to that determines the fruitfulness in your life. When it comes to opportunities, I believe 2018, many of us will have great opportunities. Not all those opportunities will be good ones, but there will be opportunities. There will be open doors. But when we look at opportunities, opportunities doesn't knock on your door and say, hey, I missed a Mrs. Opportunity, could you let me in? Opportunities don't come knocking on your door. Opportunities come when you have the desire to look for it. Are you listening to me? Opportunities come when you have the intuition to look for it. If you don't have the intuition to look for those opportunities of fruitfulness, it will come before you and you will miss it because it, you didn't have that instinct. You didn't have the intuition. You didn't have that nudge on the inside to tell you this is an opportunity, a God-given opportunity. The reason why some of us miss opportunities that are God-given because they are dressed up in different ways. Opportunities can be dressed up in something so insignificant but can take the, have the biggest impact in your life. Opportunities can come dressed up in opposition, but we don't see it because we don't have the intuition to look beyond. I want to focus on these two words this night, intellect and intuition. We miss opportunities when we use our intellect. We capitalize on opportunities when we have the right intuition. I said our intuition is the voice of God in our spirit. Our intellect is about our intelligence. It's about our reasoning. It's about how we understand things. But our intuition surpasses, acts independent of our reasoning, 
and it exists in every born-again believer. You have the intuition on the inside. But you know what? We are so trained to think intellectually that we can miss the opportunities that God gives and the nudges that God prompts us with. You understand what I'm talking about tonight? Are you with me? Or have I lost you? Are you in Mount Horeb or you progressed? Okay. You see, when it comes to intellect, your intellect will tell you everything you need to know about a situation. It'll give you all the details, all the statistics. It'll give you all the facts. But it's only your intuition will tell you what to do in that situation. What's the difference? You ask a guy, he'll give you everything that you need to know. But your intuition will tell you what to do, how to respond in that situation. Good people are very often led by instructions. People of significance are led by their intuition. The Bible gives us many examples of how people of significance took opportunities because they listened to their intuition rather than the intellect. Now, the Bible is full of examples. I've just picked a few. Plenty in the New Testament, plenty in the Old Testament. I can stand here literally the whole night and pick out passages from the Bible describing the difference between the intellect and the intuition. Well, I'm going to focus on two because I know you have to go home and I have another service to do. So 1 Kings chapter 19 talks about this prophet called Elijah. He had one great victories. He just overcame the prophets of Baal. But then when Jezebel, the queen of Ahab, threatened to kill him, suddenly fear gripped him. The same prophet that was courageous, the same prophet that withstood the prophets of Baal, started to run for his life, lands up at Mount Horeb, hides in a cave because he was gripped with his intellect. You see, we are constantly facing the battle of how to approach life, either by our intellect or by our intuition. At one moment, you can walk by your intuition. The next moment, you, your intellect can kick in. That's what, what happened to Elijah. When he was operating in the spirit, dealing with the prophets of Baal, he operated out of his intuition and did the impossible, did the extraordinary, captivated the hearts of people, turned the nation upside down with what happened with the prophets of Baal. Same man running because of his intellect. Let's look at his life. In verse 10, God catches up on Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? And Elijah says to God, I'm alone. Sounds like a Christian. I'm the only prophet. And now everyone seeks to take my life. Sounds familiar? Feel all isolated. Nobody's child. Poor guy. Stuck on Mount Horeb. And then God tells him in verse 11, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And the Lord passed by him in a great strong wind and tore into the mountains, broke the rocks into, place, into pieces. But God was not in the wind. And you know what God tells him? Look, Elijah, you missed an important step in your life. You missed listening to me. Whenever you miss listening to God, you're missing out on something significant. I remember the times when I was an early young Christian. One of the things that motivated me every morning to get up and spend time with God is the one thought, what if God has something to say to me this morning and I miss it? And that one thought will wake me up and I'll go start praying, say, God, is there anything you want me to know? We must cultivate a habit of listening to God. I know we love talking to God. We'll talk to the wall if it's possible. Not if it's possible. You'll have talking about the wall. Talk to the Mary. Talk. You know, we're so used to talking. We're very bad at listening. And God tells Elijah, what's wrong with you, Elijah? What are you doing here? Now, what's wrong is my version. What are you doing here, Elijah? Go stand on the mountain. Start listening. And the Lord comes in a manifestation that surprised him. The rock split. There was a mighty wind. And Elijah is waiting for God to say something. But God was not in the wind. Goes on to say, then there was a great earthquake. And Elijah is thinking, now God must be saying something. But God was not in the earthquake. Then the Lord brought a fire. But God was not in that fire. God spoke to Elijah in a small, still voice. 
How many of us always are looking for the spectacular for God to speak to us? How many of us are so misguided in thinking, oh, it's so, so supernatural, oh, it's so wonderful, God can speak. Hey, you could have the biggest manifestation, you could have cloud descending in this place and still not hear God. Because God can speak to you through that still, small voice called the intuition. When God spoke to Elijah, it transformed his life. Let's look at what happened. God spoke to him in that small voice. Verse 13, Elijah pulled his cloak over his face, went out, stood at the mouth of the cave, and the voice said to him, go back the way you came. You're running the wrong direction. Go back from the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Anoint Jehu as king of Israel. Go anoint Elisha to be the next prophet in your place. God gave him his assignment. Elijah left behind a legacy because he heard what God wanted him to do. If Elijah didn't hear the voice of God, he would have died at Mount Horeb. There are many Christians who are disappointed. Many Christians frustrated. You're frustrated not because God doesn't exist. You're frustrated not because God is not speaking. You're frustrated because you can't hear God in the moment of your crisis. You can't hear God in the, terms of, in, in the sense of direction you want to go in. But there is a God that speaks. We must learn to hear His voice. The Bible is full of examples of men and women. Follow their intuition. It's led them to greatness. We're going to quickly look at an example in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible talks of a man of great significance called Naaman. You pronounce it that way, Naaman? Naaman, Naaman, Haman. Okay, Naaman, we'll stick to Naaman. You know who I'm talking about. Naaman was a commanding officer in the Syrian army. He was a man well respected by the king. He had great achievements. He was considered a mighty man of valor. But the one problem, he was a leper. He had leprosy. He had a disease that the world couldn't cure. At that time, leprosy was incurable. Leprosy was a dreaded disease. People were considered as outcasts when they had leprosy. They would be put outside the city. This great man was a leper. But in his home, there was a young, insignificant, ordinary slave girl. Heard about a master's condition of leprosy. Outside, everyone viewed her as an ordinary slave girl. But she knew where her roots were. She was an Israelite. She was a descendant of Abraham. She didn't belong to Syria. She knew where she came from. And she knew what she had, the spiritual inheritance that she had. In her spirit, she had dignity. In her spirit, she was extraordinary. And that's what mattered. She went and told her mistress, I know of a man. He's a prophet. His name is Elijah. And he could heal your husband of that incurable disease. Naaman heard the good news. No other option. And sometimes we need to come to that place where we exhaust all options and then we say, God, now at least you speak, Lord. Till then, we try. Plan one, plan two, plan three, plan five, plan ten. And then when nothing happens, only God can help me. Why do you wait for plan 10 to, to realize that? Plan 1 fails, come to the only God, you can help me. It helps you, it makes things much more easier. So Naaman goes to the king of Abraham, and he tells the king of what the slave girl told his mistress, his wife. And the king said, I will send a letter, verse 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 5. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Hey, you know what? The slave girl says, go meet the prophet. What did Naaman say? I'll go meet the king. 
What does the king say? I'll give you a letter to the king of Israel. Everyone miss it because of intellect. We are trained to think, king, you write to a king. And so he's writing to the king of Israel, bringing all that gold, bringing all those nice things, riches, to ask for a favor from a king. And the slave girl says, go to the prophet. But intellect says, go to the king. So he goes to the king. When the king of Israel reads the letter, with this letter which was sent by his servant Naaman to cure him of his leprosy, it backfires on him and says, is this a joke? Are you provoking me? Are you, are you trying to stir trouble? How can I cure you? You read the passage. You see what the king says. But prophet Elijah understands what happens And he says in verse 8, When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, Why have you torn your robes? Have the men come to me and know that there is a prophet in Israel? And Naaman goes to the prophet Elisha, stands at the door with his aides, stands with all this gold and all these precious things, the clothes, and he's expecting like how he was trained, using his intellect, he's a commanding officer. Now this prophet Elisha will come and probably salute him. You see, God has a way of surprising you when it comes to your intellect. He never honors your intellect. I'm getting strong words there. I mean, your intellect has place. Thank God you have some intellect. Thank God we all got some intellect. But there are things that we need to learn when it comes to the spiritual aspect, our intellect should not interfere with the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit are understood by the Spirit. It's our intuition that helps us to understand things which are beyond the natural. Our intellect is given to understand the things that are in the natural. Intuition is given to understand the things of the Spirit. And so he has an expectation of how Elisha should respond to him. Elisha sends us a messenger and says... Tell Naaman, go and wash in the Jordan. How many times? Seven times. Why seven? Why can't it be five? I mean, why can't it dip once? Seven means you're understanding something now in your intuition. If God says five, how many times? Why seven? Why five? None of our business. If God says seven, seven it shall be. And then he says to him, Your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman is not happy. He's furious. He's angry. He went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me. Stand and call on the name of his Lord. Wave his hand over the place and heal his leprosy. How many of you have been in that place? This man of God is coming all the way from America. He's the man of God for the hour. And you're waiting for your big time miracle. And you fast, you pray, you come for that meeting, and God heals your neighbor and forgets about you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because God has one agenda, and his agenda has never changed. His agenda is to always demolish your intellect when it comes to the things of the Spirit. Hello? Wave his hands. Be cured. The ones who came along with Naaman. They said to him, if the prophet told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? He's asked you to do something simple. Why not obey? Why not do it? It's so helpful to just do what God tells you to do. It may not fit your reasoning, but your obedience matters to God. Look at how Naaman's intellect speaks to him. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? I tell you, he's a 20th century, not 20, he's a present-day Christian. He should be sitting in one of our churches. Ah, there are many namens like that in the church today. Why I should go there and get a miracle? If God wants to speak to me, I'll sit in my house, turn on the TV, God can speak to me. Hello? You see, we think that God is at our beck and call. I pictured this in my mind. Naaman's such an intellectual man, 
trained to go by his intellect, would have got down under the water and he got up and says, one, dirty water smelling. <laughs> you cheek, you know, this cockroach or whatever came. Cheat at least. Third time. And he must have looked at his age and said, fellas, dirty water. Look at my skin. Nothing. Five time, six time. And he's thinking, hey, no change. It's always on the seventh one. It's always when your obedience is completed, your miracle is knocking on your door. It's always when your obedience is complete, your miracle is at hand. When he comes, gets down, gets up on the seventh time, he was clean. He was healed of his leprosy. And he was a transformed man. Naaman could have missed his miracle if he followed his intellect. Naaman, in verse 15, goes back with his attendants, back to the man of God. He stands before him, says, Now I know there is a God in all the world. There is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Please accept a gift. You see, he didn't just get healed. He got transformed. God chose to honor an ordinary slave girl because she took the opportunity to talk to her master. That's all. God took that and did something because of what she did. And I want you to know that you're not an ordinary person. God looks at you as a person of significance. God has placed his life on the inside of you. You have something that the world doesn't have. God has put you in a place of position, whether it's a company, whether it's an organization, wherever you are, you have something that the people around you don't have. And if you can only look at the opportunities that come your way, you can be a person who could speak to kings and see their hearts transformed. He could, you could speak in a situation and things can change. In the eyes of the world, you may be ordinary, but you need to know who you are in your spirit. And that slave girl knew it and saw her master transformed. Your intellect will take you as only far as your reasoning can, but your intuition will take you beyond your reasoning, beyond your capabilities, and beyond your resources. Tonight we're standing in this place. We are here in this building, not because of our intellect. We're in this building because of our intuition. Remember the time that this was a tin roof? We were a small congregation of 80 all people, but we believed God for His supply. And God miraculously, I'm not taking you to the whole story, God provided. We not only bought the place, we renovated the place. And today, intuition kicks in, pick up another one. What we do will not only benefit us, but benefit the generation to come. All it takes is that still small voice to prompt us to do what God has called us to do. I want to leave you with a caution. Yes, there will be many doors before us. You don't even have to pray for an open door. You don't have to do much for an opportunity. God will bring those opportunities. You need to have the intuition which one is from God and which is not. Many Christians go by this philosophy, open doors. And I learned from my lecturer in Singapore. He said this to me that stayed in my mind. Not all open doors are from God. Open doors can also be the enemy's trap. And I need to tell you that we need to mature from, oh, any open door must be from God. No, not necessary. And I'll tell you about one person who saw an open door that brought him his ruin. We see that in the same chapter, chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, 20. It talks about a person called Gehazi. You familiar with that word, Gehazi? Can you say the word Gehazi? You familiar with that? He was a servant to Elisha. And the servant of Elisha, the man of God, took my master, and he says this, spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he had brought. But as the Lord lives, look at how he takes the Lord's name. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and I'll take something from him. And you love the story. Naaman was so blessed with his healing. Came with all the gold. 
came with all the benefits, laid it before Elisha, and Elisha says, I don't want any one of your gifts. This is the work of God. Gehazi, the servant, hey, my master let him off too easy. Surely as the Lord, I'll run after him. I will take something and see how he takes it. It says, all is, and Gehazi pursued Naaman, verse 21. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me, first lie, or my master has sent me saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. He, uh, and he urged him, bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments, handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand, stored them away in the house, and then he let the men go, and they departed. Can you see what he says? He took all of that, went to the house, secret corner, hid it all. And then he stands before the prophet Elisha and says to him, before his master, and Elisha says, where did you go, Gehazi? Your servant did not go anywhere. See how we compromise when we run after gold. See how gold can influence a person's life, influence their motives. Then he said to him, Elisha said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and to receive clothing? Olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. Therefore, listen to this, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. Not only he was affected, his descendants, his children's children were afflicted with leprosy. And he went out from this, his presence as a leprous man, as white as snow. All because Gehazi saw an opportunity in his intellect. He saw an opportunity to be rich. He saw an opportunity where he could take something that he didn't do or didn't even deserve. And he ran after it. And he became a leper. He not only got Naaman's gold, he got Naaman's leprosy. I want to draw in conclusion a comparison between the slave girl and Gehazi. Six points, comparison. If you're quick in taking notes, you can do it. Gehazi was a man of significance. He was a servant to this prophet Elisha. But he had an attitude of a slave running after money. Fabricating truth. Fabricating lies, rather, in order to get money. Attitude of a slave. How many times there are people of significance, but an attitude of a slave. But the girl was an ordinary slave, but she had an attitude of great significance. Gehazi set his heart on gold by following his intellect. The slave girl set her heart on God and followed her intuition. Gehazi thought about himself, but the slave girl thought about her master. Gehazi followed his intellect and became a leper for the rest of his life. The slave girl followed an intuition and transformed her master for the rest of his life. Let me conclude. Gehazi died as a leper in dishonor. The slave girl, her name is not even mentioned in the Bible, but she would have died with dignity and honor because of what she did. An ordinary slave girl. Never despise who you are. Never despise the place where you are. God can do extraordinary things through a man and a woman who listens to their intuition. Your intellect will take you to this far. Your intuition will take you from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And God says this to his people in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8. Listen. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. If there's anything that Jesus said to the people in his time, you will constantly hear this phrase in the gospel. God 
calls his people, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God has to say. We see this to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. God's speaking to the churches, and he's calling the church to the place. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God has to say. God didn't say, he who has a mouth, let him speak. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Church, do you have ears to hear what God is saying to you tonight? What is it that God demands from your life? What is the direction that you're going? What do you see ahead of you in 2018 will matter? How do you discern between your intellect and your intuition? How do you know that this is from God and how this is, is this from your enemy? One verse. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It talks about the word of God is living. The word, the Bible is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The word has a two-fold effect. What is the two-fold effect? Piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit. Your soul has to do with your intellect, your mind, your reasoning, your will. It divides. The word of God divides that which is of your mind and that which is inborn. Your intuition is right there in your spirit. The word of God. I've noticed many people, they don't mind worshiping God. They don't mind praying but they don't like to read the Bible. I can't understand. If you could understand physics, what is there to understand the Bible? You ever thought about that? No. Why? Question mark. If you can pass those exams, if you can walk around and with your book and say two twos are two, two twos are, two twos are four, and go by hearting your maths and go by hearting your biology, because you have to pass an exam. Eternity is waiting for you. God will require what you will do with your life. It's time you got up from your blessed assurance, took the Bible in your hand, cried out to God and said, God, would you help me to understand this book? It makes no sense, but I know it's life. I know it's power. I know it gives me direction. Give me the brains. Give me the intuition to understand what this book says. And if you have that intent in your heart, you will not only understand the Gospels, you will understand Revelation, Genesis, and everything. Because you have the inspiration of God on the inside of you. The problem is, we don't see the importance of the word. And we think the word of God is another suggestion. You will be surprised at the end of your life. God will hold you accountable to how you live your life based on the word. The word will separate your intuition from your intellect. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.